Um, We are in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. You can follow along in your Bibles or read on the screen with me. This is what it says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We were designed by God for a relationship with him and a relationship with one another. It's the way that God made us, which doesn't mean, as Justin described so well last week, it doesn't mean that we're always going to be in relationships that are in sync and that are working really, really well. No, no, no. Because of the brokenness that also exists in us, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be difficulties. But God did make us to live in relationship with one another. He made us so that you and I could experience not just a relationship, but that we might experience love, which is more than just a feeling. It has feelings in it, but it's truly the the bedrock of a relationship where there's this give and take that can be honest about struggles and difficulties. It can celebrate joys. Um, That's what love is. And Jesus Christ here in John chapter 15 is describing rather clearly what it means to be in relationship with him and with God. And, and, And I know that he speaks rather clearly about you need to remain in me. And if you don't remain in me, then he describes a judgment that will happen. But he's speaking to disciples on the night where he is going to be betrayed. He's speaking to disciples who are just moments away from scattering, from saying, I will never leave you, and then leaving him, of saying one thing and then doing another. And it's at that moment that he speaks this profound promise, not just a warning, but a promise. When I moved here a number of years ago, um, I'm not a, not a counselor by training. I'm, I'm a pastor, 
and I love having conversations about relationships, and I really don't mind sharing my thoughts or my perspective about what the Bible teaches and about what God wants, and I'm, I'm more than glad to pray for and to help in any way that I can. They've been married for I don't know how many years, but I'd say it was more than 10. And so they're going through just kind of one of those rocky seasons, and it seemed to me like they really loved one another, that they were committed to one another. And, and, and it's not like she was perfect and he was just a train wreck. But the first time we met, I just remember thinking, yeah, they really do care about one another. They're going to be able to figure this out. And, and then it was one of those relationships where it just seemed like every five or six months I would get an emergency call. Yeah, it's not going well. I don't know how much longer I can do this. I don't know how much longer we can do this. And, and so we kind of got in this routine. Again, I, I wasn't their counselor. I kept recommending, maybe you need to have something more. And, and I think they tried it a few times. And it was difficult. And again, it's, it's not that she was perfect and he was a train wreck. It's, I don't know, it's probably like a lot of marriages. Two people that genuinely really loved one another that are still trying to care for one another. And it's just hard. There's ups and downs. And when there's more downs than ups, I just don't know how much longer we can do this. And the strain got more and more and more until it was, in their minds, it was just done. And I'm talking with him because he, he can't figure out why. And he just kept talking about, but I love her. Like, I love the kids. Like, I really, really do. And I never went, no, you don't. And I wasn't trying to make him just feel better. I, I, I really did look at him and say, I see it. Like, I see your love for her. I see your love for the kids. So why are we here? Why is it just so broken? And, and it's when I, I realize, I get these moments where I, I really do, I believe either, well, I believe the Lord is kind of sanctifying my thoughts or I'm getting a, a deeper sense of what life is like and the older you get, if you're paying attention, hopefully uh, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, you become wiser. It, it just, it dawned on me at that moment it's not that you don't love her and them. It's just that you love you more. I think that's the problem. And I think that's why you're confused, is you're blind to your self-love. And so you're, I don't understand why this isn't working, or I don't understand why we can't just keep giving this another try. And it's just like, because. It, it just, they will never be a bigger part of your life than you are. And, and not only was that a moment in which I was giving advice, I was trying to preach to myself at the same time. Because I think that's, that's true with a lot of us. If we're going to be honest, we, we want it to be really clear. There's, there's like good guys and bad guys. Well, that might be easier for you to think about, but I, I, just, I very seldom have experienced that. In the end, there's just us guys. And we're struggling and we're trying and we're trying to do the best in our relationships and we're trying to care for one another and love one another. And, and, and I think, I don't think it's just a product of our time, but I think it may be highlighted more now. But we are, we are such at the mercy of how we're feeling in this moment. We're so at the mercy of that. And, and sometimes that's not enough. It isn't. It wasn't enough for him to just love them, like in his heart. 
Like something had to happen. There needed to be some kind of a product, a fruit, we'll call it, that needed to be produced. And, and, and honestly, she wasn't like, I want to see it. That's not it. No, she's like tears in her eyes. I just, like, I want to see it. Like, I want to know that I matter. Like, I want to know. Like, I, I need this. And I never thought, you are so selfish. I'm thinking what you think right now. No, no, no. That's, that's, it's only normal and natural for her to expect that. They're in a relationship, right? So she wasn't expecting perfection. She's willing to forgive. A mom and a dad are trying to have a conversation with one of their kids. And it's one of those conversations where, I mean, they were, they were almost terrified because there are those moments with, with children. I don't know if you've had moments like this. I've had these moments with my kids. But these moments where, where the children are coming to some kind of a self-realization or self-discovery. And then they're talking but they're not totally sure where they're at. And so they're just speaking. And now the parents are just terrified by what they're hearing. And the self-discovery was, I don't love you. I don't love either of you. I don't love this family. I don't, I don't love God. I don't, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm at at all. I, 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 think, it's all, I think it's all a game. I think it's all a, it's all a charade. It's all a facade. It's, none of this is real. And, and the parent said that the, the part that gave them some glimpse of hope was the tears that were streaming down his face while he was speaking. Somehow the body wasn't matching the words. And as they're having this conversation, why, why, do you, why, why, why do you think this? Why do you feel this way? Why are you saying that you don't love your family? Why are you saying that you don't love us? Why are you saying that you don't love God? Like, how did, how did you get here? Like, how did you come to this conclusion? And then he just blurted it out. Why would I do what I do and hurt you the way that I hurt you? Why would I act the way that I act if I love you? And I guess he was just kind of reverse engineering the idea that, and you've heard this statement, right? If you loved me, you would. Like, if you loved me, you know what you would do? So is that true or not? And Justin, you talked about this last week. I mean, Jesus talked about it, so you had to talk about it. It's, it's back up again. End of 14, beginning of 15, Jesus Back in 12, I mean, Jesus says this a lot. If you love me, you will. We look at a marriage and we just say, no, no, no. If you loved her, you would. And then we look at this, this child who's just trying to figure out life. And he's going, why, why would I do this? And, and then they say, I don't, I don't think I love you. Because if I did love you, then not that I would be perfect. But if I did love you, then I would at least... I would do things that would make you pleased. If I, I guarantee you, you've wondered, am I really, really, really in love with Jesus and following God? If I am, then why, why am I not either feeling it? Why am I not doing it? Why am I not being faithful? I guarantee you that's what the disciples are going to be thinking in a few moments. You don't think Peter's going to be sitting there? Like if I really did... If I really did follow Jesus, if I really did love him, how could I just deny him? The disciples, all of them, scatter. 
if we really did love Jesus, we'd stay awake. You can't even stay awake? Not even for one hour? You can't stay awake? You know, if you loved me, you'd stay awake. And, and this is the, the tension that we actually see in John 15. And, and it's, it's not as simple. What, what, I, what I have found as I think about those two stories side by side, you know, there's a, there is a truth to that, that if you really did love her and you took your marital vows seriously, you would, you would act different. But you would still fail many times. And so just because you failed, it doesn't mean that you don't love that's kind of what I think you were addressing last week, Justin. This struggle that we're in, and that's what Jesus is addressing this morning. In John chapter 15, Jesus is going to be giving two sets of instructions at the very beginning of 15. He's going to be talking about himself. And at the end of 15, he's still talking about himself, but he is describing just the natural result of people who are connected to him. Not people who are in love with him, although that may be true. But people who know him, who are now in relationship with him, who are now going through the ups and the downs of life, sometimes succeeding and sometimes failing, but remaining with him. And we, we see in our text the, the first statement, and it's the biggest statement. It's right there in verse 1. Look at it. I would recommend, recommend you that you underline it. Before any kind of conversation happens in which Jesus Christ says, you need to remain in me, and if you do not remain in me, I will not remain in you. Before he ever says, actually, this new command that I give you, you must love me and obey me. He begins with, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Before he makes any demand, he says, I need you to know who I am. Before you ever start wrestling with or trying to figure out who God is or what, or sorry, what Jesus wants from you or what God wants from you, you first need to recognize who he is. Who is he? The Bible begins with, this is who God is. He's the creator of all and this is how he makes things. And this is how he pursues things. This is how he redeems things. There is this very clear picture. I love the book of Ephesians that makes it so clear. This is the eternal plan of God and this is what God has done and this is what God has done. And you get three chapters of all the goodness of God before you get any kind of therefore we should. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now that's a weird statement. Now and you probably ask, we've heard it a lot, right? We know that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. But in that original audience hearing that, what do you mean you're the vine? That's actually, that's not, I don't think about you being the vine. The vine imagery is actually taken from the Old Testament and it's not describing God. It's not even describing um, uh, the, the Messiah. It's actually describing the people of God. Israel. A couple of texts that we could go to. We could look at one in Ezekiel. We could look at Psalm 80. But I want us to go to Isaiah 5. Isaiah chapter 5, we're going to look at this text, the first few verses of chapter 5, and we're going to see the love, the persistent love and care of God, and, and that's why it's before we ever think about how we need to love God, we first must know that God loved us first. 
Isaiah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. I will sing about the one I love. A song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it. That tower was to protect it so he could oversee it. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. This is the constant, persistent love of God for his vineyard. In Psalm 80, it actually says that he takes this vine out of Egypt. You know what he's alluding to. And I planted it and I cared for it. Like before there's any demands of fruit, God is the one who loves and cares and provides and protects and loves and cares and provides and protects over and over and over again. So therefore, if you're going to do this with this vineyard, you must have a purpose. And look at how it continues, still in verse 2. And he, the gardener, God, expected it to yield good grapes. Right? I mean, who who would plant a vineyard and want anything but good grapes? That's just normal, right? I planted this vineyard. I've done all this work. I am a good gardener, and I expect good grapes. But it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why? When I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you, what I am about to do to my vineyard, I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. So the pruning and the weeding, the caring, the hedging, the looking over is all from love. Persistent love. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds. That rain should not fall on it. The the gardener, the, the one who made the vineyard, when he saw unfaithfulness, he responded to its unfaithfulness, even though there was love and devotion and love and devotion and care and love and devotion and care. It was just always responded with not love, not listening, not following, not obeying. So by the way, the Bible understands the complexity of relationship. It knows the brokenness of a young boy who's trying to figure out why he makes the choices that he makes, or or, or an older man who is looking back at his life and thinking, why can't I figure out relationships? The Bible understands the complexities of both of those situations. But over it all is this, Jesus Christ saying, I am the true vine. Now, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. It matters because what Jesus is actually teaching his disciples and what Jesus is actually teaching the nation of Israel is that more important than your brokenness, more important than your failure is mine, this is Jesus speaking, is my faithfulness. Like, we're not the vine. We're not the vine. We're not the ones that are charged or responsible with figuring it out. We're not the ones designed and intended by God to go out and to make sure that the world listens. And we're not the ones. We, we, we like to pretend we're the ones that are responsible. 
We like to pretend that everything we do is make it or break it. In reality, that is just not true. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be consequences for our failures. There aren't going to be difficult results of the fact that when you and I don't look like Jesus, that there's going to be uh, yucky, difficult problems that are going to come from that. I'm not saying that, that it doesn't matter at all. I'm saying that there is something that matters more. That what Peter needed to know on that night, what Judas would not listen, what Judas needed to know on that night was that when you go to sleep, when you deny, the answer is, I will remain faithful because I am the true vine. Jesus is pointing out to the people of Israel, where you have failed, I have been victorious. And we forget that. We get so caught up in the rest of this text and what does it mean and what does it expect and what does God want? And, and before we do that, we need to stop and realize all that God ultimately desires in his plan for us, he has demonstrated exceedingly more than you and I could ever ask or imagine. From the very beginning, he had a plan for you. He has loved you. He has cared for you before you were born. God had a plan for your redemption and salvation. God knew of your brokenness and he wasn't going to give up on you. He knew that there would be failure after failure. He knew that you would come from a long line of people who have failed and then repeatedly failed. And God said, and in the midst of all of that brokenness, I am the one who will remain. I am the one who will persist. I know the church has had its failures and its problems. And, and I know for that reason that there's a lot of people who really do struggle with the church. I never want to take away the responsibility that we have. But greater than that, I am so grateful that I'm not totally responsible. How many of you are grateful that you're not totally responsible for the salvation of the world? That your righteousness is not humanity's salvation? That, that you, you, you cannot by yourself hold your marriage together. Hold your family together. Hold society together. You have a part to play. But Jesus is the true vine. And in the midst of all of our failure, God says, look at me. In the midst of all of our failure, we gather around the table again today. Why? Because we had a great week? Because we had it all figured out? Or because he did? He did. I am the vine. Now it continues on in this next section we're going to see beginning in verse 3. That, that we, you and I, we're the, we're the branches. We're not the vine, but we are the branches. And therefore there is like a responsibility that we have, but the responsibility is to respond to the vine. The responsibility is not to try to pretend you're a vine, to pretend you are the vine. It is literally to respond to that which we've already connected to. That is why this morning as we are talking about what it means to be faithful to Jesus, it is about responding to him. It is about recognizing him and responding to him. It's not about us 
loving on our own, caring on our own, looking righteous on our own. It is is about us being connected to him and responding to his words, responding to his life, responding to his death, responding to his resurrection, responding to his ascension, responding to the people who have responded. It is about us mirroring what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. That's what we're called to do. Not fake it till you make it. Not be a complete, uh, completely at the mercy of how you're feeling and how you're thinking. But responding to who Jesus Christ is. He says in verses 3 and 4, You are already clean, not because you've been good boys. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me. And I also remain in you. Remain in me as I remain in you. That I, I, as I strengthen you, as you look at my example, as you are reminded of, of who I am and what I have accomplished. What, what God asks for us is to always be, not a step ahead, but always right behind. Remember what he said to his disciples? Follow me. You don't have to have it all figured out. You're going to make lots of mistakes. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to rebuke you. All designed to keep you close to me. And, and Jesus makes it very clear. And I want you to know, I am going nowhere. Even when you go back and you look at the Old Testament with all the brokenness that existed, it was all designed to make sure that God's plan and purpose would be fulfilled. God does not have a judgment apart from a desired the demonstration of his glory and a demonstration of his purpose and a demonstration of his plan, a demonstration of our own discipline so that we can become more like him and respond better, recognize who he is and respond more consistently with what he expects from us. Remain in me as I remain in you. Verses 9 through 11, look at what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. As you keep my commands, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. One of the things that's so beautiful about this, it's not, well, if you do, then I will. It's recognizing that if you want to follow Jesus, that's the original question. Do you want to follow Jesus? I said, yes. Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to know that Jesus loves you and that he cares for you? I do. I really do. I want to know that. I want to know what that, I want to know what that looks like. And the rest of the world is, well, you're going to have to try to figure it out or you're going to be the victim of your own heart. Do you feel like God loves you today? Well, I don't feel like God loves me today. Well, why? Because I had a really bad morning and we become victims to this. How can we know? And the answer is you and I can know these things. We can know them for certain. Why? Because you and I are listening to him, because you and I are following him, because you and I are responding to him. Yeah, but why do I still struggle? You still struggle if you're struggling, because you haven't quit. That's why you're struggling, because you haven't quit, because the Spirit is persisting in you, because you are remaining. That is why you're struggling. 
because you are remaining. And God is disciplining you. There's two seasons that the vineyard works with. There's the spring season, which is when the gardener goes through and he basically cleans it up. He basically goes through the vineyard and he looks at every branch and he prunes every branch to make sure that it is going to be in the best possible position to produce the most fruit. There's no cutting off and burning in the spring pruning. After the crop has been harvested and a little time goes by, then the gardener goes back and cuts everything that didn't produce. It's that spring pruning that God demonstrates his love for us and cares for us and disciplines us. Why is it that I struggle so much? It is because that you are remaining Remain in my love, not my feelings of love, although they are there. God has great emotions for you. And those emotions don't just produce actions, they are intimately connected with God's actions toward you. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't have feelings for you that are disconnected from how he has treated you? That God could say, let me tell you the ways in which I have loved you. Let me count the ways. Like I made you. I, I continued to persist in the midst of your rebellion. How many people have I sent to tell you about my love and about my plan for you? How many times when you wanted nothing to do with me, did I still let you know that I'm here for you? over and over and over again. Jesus says in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. That's a, that's a promise. It's not a threat. As you know who I am and as you desire a relationship with me, then there's going to be this relationship that is going to grow. Just as I have kept my father's commands and I remain in his love. And I've told you this so that your joy may be in so that so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now listen, this is why I think we we, we totally miss it when we make everything about how we feel or we totally remove how we feel. Those are both inappropriately and cowardly, uh, lazy ways to think and to live. The answer about thinking and responding and feeling and duty and responsibility and obligation, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And you want to know how I know? Because that's how every relationship I'm in works when it's working well. It is this give and take, this back and forth, this, 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 this love that produces actions and these actions that produce love. It's a commitment that I have because of past commitments that I've made. That sometimes by a thought or a picture are stirred or a word is reminded. I'm so grateful for God's plan and his, his purpose for us. What he's basically saying is, is that you are the branches and as you know me and want to be part of me, I promise I'm never going to fail you. I will always be there for you. It's not, a, you know, as soon as you walk away, I'm out the door. Jesus isn't into that cancel idea. 
He persists. He remains. And that's why he promises. We, as we are connected to him by faith, we become transformed. We we become different people. I, I think that's why I understand the question of this young boy. Why am I still wrestling with this? Why am I still struggling with this? Why am I not seeing more fruit? Good question. I, I would say to him, why don't you give it some time, young man? Why don't you wait? Well, I did. I've been waiting all day. I think we all know this, right? Fruit doesn't grow like that. It just doesn't. It grows, but it doesn't grow like that. Part of the fruit that I've had to wait for in my own life has been one of the most interesting journeys of faith. I don't always love more. I am not always more patient. But I think I can say I always want to be. Persist. Remain. And Jesus will be true to his word. Can I just say, looking at this room, there's way too many of you that are way too young. Seriously, way too young. And by that, I mean anybody under 60. (laughs) Be very careful giving up on the promises of Jesus. By the way, he's he's not talking about just being a nice person. It's... It's not like Christians have like the exclusive market on things like worldly love or worldly kindness or worldly patience. We we got to talk more about this. We've got to study more about this. I think so much of our understanding of the great virtues has already been determined and set for us by the world. This is what love looks like. I get so many Christian people, myself included, I'm really working through this right now, who their view of love is nothing like it's described in Scripture. It's soft, it's mushy, it's, there's no truth to it, there's no resilience, there's no teeth in it, there's no deep compassion. There's, there's this quick, quick reaction of, of anger and then this soft, mushy, there's nothing really here, this shallow, empty calorie existence. Neither of those things can be true. There's got to be a better way to love, and the answer is there is, and God has demonstrated it to us in Jesus. Look at how he loved us with him. Spoke truth to us in him. Never walked away from us in him. Sacrificed it all for us in him. And then turns around and demands it all from us in response. Now that's got some teeth to it. That's what Jesus is describing. That's what he's talking about here. And that is why it isn't. If you could just, if you could just gain these virtues, if you could just be nicer, if you could just be kinder, if you could just let it go, if you could just let me be me, if you could just, if we could just all get along, those are such worldly perspectives. But Jesus says in verses four and five, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is why the kind of, 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 of uh, 
of worldly love and worldly kindness and worldly tolerance might look like to you and I the exact same thing. It's not. It brings no glory to God. It is not done for his purposes. It is not done for the benefit of others in the way that God is honored and glorified. This idea that, that a Christian life and a non-Christian life are virtually the same, well, if you exclude the God part, that's the whole part. No, but it is. Do you understand the difference? I'm not saying that from you, you and I, in terms of our perspective, from an earthly perspective, that the really nice, kind things that other people do who don't know God look just like us, and we go, yeah, that's just the same. Well, as long as we don't look at it from a divine perspective, I'm with you. Once God enters into the, uh, the, into the equation, everything fundamentally changes. That's why Jesus says, You can't bear fruit without me. Not the kind of fruit that lasts. I'm not saying you can't love your wife or be married for 50 years, but not the kind that goes into eternity. This is the kind of love that Jesus is describing. Remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can't do anything. Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, you will recognize their You will recognize them by their fruit. Chapter 7, verses 16 through 18. He asked this question. Are grapes gathered from from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. There's no way about talking about this fruit without recognizing that what I believe Jesus is describing here is this life in obedience to him, which isn't just a list of things that I don't do. It literally is a life that responds to to God and to the world like he did. Paul says it looks like this. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That is what you and I become, literally, that is what you and I become when we follow Jesus. That is why if you are trying to like follow Jesus' commands in a self-righteous way, you aren't loving. You're like angry, you're frustrated, you're proud, you're arrogant, you're condescending. None of those exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. That's why this isn't try to act like this. This isn't like religion. This is actually a life lived in obedience to who Jesus Christ is, who's constantly living in light of what God has done for me, in light of the true vine. What more should I do? What more can I do? Man, I would like to do more. I want to be complete. I want to be full. I want to know who he is more. I want to know what those demands on my life are going to be like more. Yeah, well, I'm not right. I'm not there right now. Yeah, well, you know what? Truthfully, like I'm there right now, but I'm not always there. And when I'm not there, I just need to remember that Jesus Christ is. There's no way to get around this. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We will produce fruit as we remain in him. Jesus' father is the gardener. In Matthew 7, Jesus actually says, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit, so every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You're going to recognize them by the fruit, Jesus says. Which means that you and I can recognize it. 
You and I can know. The Bible makes it very, very clear. You will know if you're mine. But it's not because of how I feel, although I think that's part of the process. But it's how I feel and how I'm responding and and how I'm listening and how I'm struggling and how the Spirit is speaking to me and how the Word is confirming that and how I am just finding myself growing more and more like who Jesus Christ is. And can I just say, if there's no evidence of that in your life, I'm not asking you to try harder. You know what I'll do? I'll go back to the very beginning. Can I tell you about a vine? Can I tell you about a gardener? Can I tell you about who God is and his amazing love for you? Because you can't fake this. You you can't pretend. Feelings are going to come and go and, and you're going to really be struggling and you're going to wonder why is it that I still struggle with this? And I'm just going to remind you, praise be to God, that you haven't given up. Jesus' final command is that you would love one another. Love one another. Just as I have loved you. And that's one of the ways that you know. It's a sign of your own salvation when you look at the way that you are responding to God and you're responding to others it should be one of the greatest levels of assurance. I know a lot of Christian people that wonder like where they're at with God. Jesus seems to say, rather clearly actually, that you can know these things by how you are recognizing and responding to my love. And therefore I pray that as we prepare to gather around the table that you and I will spend a few moments reflecting on that. Don't begin by looking at yourself. Don't, don't, don't just all the failures that you've had. No, 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 no. Do not start there. First of all, remember Jesus. Remember what he has done. And remember that his faithfulness is so much more than yours. And then, look at your response to who Jesus Christ is. And if it doesn't match up, pray that you would know him more. And respond to him more. And then trust him to fulfill his promise that he will never leave you. He will never abandon you. Let's reflect on those things.